0: Alex and welcome to today's special episode of Winner Take All. I'm very pleased to be joined by Mitch Lowe, the former CEO of MoviePass, president of Redbox and co-founding executive of Netflix. Mitch has just come out with a new book called Watch and Learn, How I Turned Hollywood Upside Down with Netflix, Redbox and MoviePass. Mitch, great to have you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here.
0: I also have uh my co-author Nick Johnson here as well. Nick also to have good to have you here with us.
1: Good to be here, excited for the conversation.
0: So Mitch, the book has just come out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of you know good fun stories and and meat in this one. I guess. Why? Why put this together? You talk about kind of lessons in disruption. What was the impetus to actually put a book together? And what got you most excited about about this book?
2: Well, the you know, I I learned uh, especially from Mark Randolph, who is, you know, the true co-founder of Netflix, uh, the joy and the and the kind of excitement about starting up companies, uh, taking ideas and turning them into uh, products. And, And so, you know, over the last years, when I reflect back on my favorite times, the times I felt the best, it was when I was working with people who are coming up with some crazy idea and wondering, is it feasible? Is it possible? and then kind of working with them. Uh, and so this book was really, you know, my way to take a lot of what I've learned uh, from other people and share it, uh, you know, via stories and and via uh, especially mistakes uh, that I've made, uh, uh, share that with others. Ideally, you know, people won't make the same same mistakes. Uh, you know, if they see uh, see uh, them right out front like that. So that was that was my um you know my passion about doing this.
0: That's awesome and and it's interesting because you know there's a lot of talk it's a, it's a very timely book right? I mean if you look at the companies that you've been involved with and and been at the helm with right just rapid growth across you know all these all these different areas of kind of the media and entertainment landscape is there a common recipe that you think about in terms of how do you really jumpstart that growth engine and and put it into overdrive?
2: Oh yeah, there's um, uh, there's three or four ingredients that I've learned are are important. Uh, those always change, you know the the kinds of uh, themes change and products and and uh, what cu- customers want. But the primary thing is is to identify a consumer need, uh, identify something that isn't working right. You know, at Netflix, in our second iteration, what we identified was that people loved watching movies and TV shows, but they hated having to return them and they hated a limited selection and they hated late fees. Uh, One of the things I always found uh, interesting is that Blockbuster at the time in the late 90s and early 2000s was one of the top 10 brands in the country, yet it was also one of the most hated brands. And it was because people couldn't kind of sync up fun and entertainment with this fine of having to pay a late fee if you returned them late. So those are the things, um, you know, that fascinate me about, uh, you know, today. I mean, you, you have so many ways to employ technology to solve uh customer problems i mean it's endless every day i go somewhere and i find something that doesn't work right and wish someone would fix it
0: so you certainly developed a great nose uh you know for what what are those problems that are meaningful enough that you could drive really significant hyper growth you know i think the numbers were what at Um, at Netflix, there was kind of this huge sprint to get to 3 million subscribers kind of in the early days. I don't know if that rings a bell. And then I think when, when you were at MoviePass, I think you were talking a lot about, you know, how do we get to 5 million users? And maybe you were at 2 million at the time, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but doing it in a rapidly short period of time, those, are those numbers vaguely accurate, um, and, and why were those so meaningful?
2: Yeah, you know, um, subscription services, uh, whether it's music or movies or whatever it might be. And of course, you know, today our world is filled with them. There's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of options, niche players, you know, broad spectrum players. Uh, but, uh, you know, the first tier you that seems to block a lot of these startups is 10,000 subscribers. Ten thousand is kind of okay. You got some form of an idea. Then it's a million, and then after that, it really depends on on the business model. And and for Netflix, you know, for many many years, the company uh, operated at a negative cash flow, and you know, it it costs money to mail the DVDs. It costs eventually when Netflix started making movies it it took i think last year you know over 20 billion dollars to make that year's series and and the way that uh, gets amortized is over a long period of time and so uh for each of these companies there's a certain threshold of subscribers that spreads the cost out and the and generates enough revenue to offset at least on the cash flow basis, those uh, negative cash flows. Uh, At uh, MoviePass, uh, uh, when we were at about between two and three million, uh, the five million number, uh, in my belief, was was a critical threshold because that meant at that point, we would be buying about one in every five movie tickets in the U.S., Uh, When I made that statement, uh, we were buying 6.6% of all the movie tickets. And so to get, you know, up to 5 million at the rate of growth, that would have meant we had the clout to to kind of push the studios and other businesses to acknowledge how much we could do to help uh, their industry. And um, because, you know, at the 2 and 3 million, I clearly was not, um, you know, or the, the the companies that could benefit from strategic partnerships with us uh, were, were kind of closing their eyes to that possibility. Um, a lot of times it reminds me of what United Airlines and Hilton Hotels, et cetera, uh, would have done if they could uh, of stopping Orbitz and Expedia uh, and all those companies that kind of got in between them and their customer. And by the time, you know, MoviePass started getting big, companies started realizing, wait a minute, we've got to have a direct relationship with a customer. Um, so I think that was, that was kind of the guiding, that kind of guides those numbers.
0: I mean, it's kind of just the natural sprint you see in a lot of these marketplace-oriented models is how fragmented is the supply? In movies, uh, you know, you you're basically up against this duopoly. I think I think Regal's supposed to go bankrupt uh, any day now or something like that. Funny enough, but uh, it's basically you know it's that sprint. Can you get enough leverage? Can you get enough demand before they can consolidate or you know string you out long enough? And I think to your point, where you could then just leapfrog them and go to the studios. And now you just saw Adam Newman. You had, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars was was MoviePass basically just like one one Masayoshi-san shy of, of making that because it seems like you got real close yeah. to really getting that kind of critical mass, as we would call it.
2: You know, the business model was was kind of formed on bringing in, you know, offering an amazingly attractive price building a huge customer base and then monetizing that customer base through advertising and data analytics and and um, selling uh, marketing to the studios uh, even even provide turning on our credit card so people could use it for dinner and drinks before or after a movie uh and uh, you know we were getting close the the crazy thing and when i look back and i write about this in the book Is that the this whole period of time from twenty thousand subscribers to three point two million subscribers was eight months? It was it was way too short, and you know I think it it really provides a good warning sign that growth is important and and momentum is important, but it can also be too fast uh, because it presents challenges that uh, if you can solve them fast that's one thing, but some problems are harder uh, to solve in a short period of time.
0: Well, that that's what the other read, right? Not, uh, not Reed Hastings, but Reed Hoffman, his, his book, Scaling is saying, I mean, I feel like, like, like what, what, what Reed Hoffman is saying, like you are the epitome of that, where it's just scale at, at you know, at, at, at whatever means possible. And they actually just interviewed him, right? Because, they said, hey, like, Reed, do you take any of this back? Because he even says even management and culture is less important than growth, which in today's environment isn't really that kosher. But, um, you know, I, I don't it's very hard to point at another example, which would from 20,000 to to millions in eight months. Right. I mean, that's that's a impressive feat, even if you rack up the Adam Newmans of the world who had a lot of scale but we're burning many more billions of dollars to get there.
2: It's uh you know I've I've run into you know old friends at Netflix and and uh Red well Redbox is an exception to this but other subscription services uh people from Spotify and others and they remind me just how much money they lost uh before they got profitable. I think Spotify was 1.4 billion uh, and you know, Netflix was many, many hundreds of millions. Uh, you know, it's 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 part of you know the the model today is if you if you can scale. Now you could go at this and stay small, of course, but if the business model requires you to monetize a large subscriber base, uh, and and also over time reduce your costs. Uh, you know by by um you know better technology and employing better uh, use of AI etc uh, then you need to go fast and and that um that is you know brings on all kinds of challenges from a capacity you know it's 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 not only your people but from a, a bandwidth side of things can you do your systems, work when they multiply, you know, 200 times, uh, you know, over a few months period. So, and, and of course we experience lots of those, uh, you know, uh, hiccups and, and bugs where systems, uh, you know, we had to struggle to keep them going.
1: One of the challenges, you know, for any platform, particularly when you're trying to hit that point of critical mass is every industry is a little bit different. And a big piece of what that threshold is, is often how fragmented the industry is. Right. If there's a lot more fragmentation, uh, there's a lot more that you can kind of capture easily, and and the threshold might be a little bit lower. But <laughs> in, in the movie theater industry in particular, there is in the U.S. this kind of big duopoly, yeah. AMC and Regal. Uh, you know, h- how did that kind of impact your strategy and thinking, and and you know the the you know, what what kind of played out uh, with your experience at MoviePass?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, at the time uh, there was three uh big players, AMC, right. uh, Regal and Cinemark and and uh you know, Cinemark is still I think number 3. Uh and then then it trails off, you know, uh, uh quite small there's thousands of small theater uh owners. Uh one of the things that I I I think that is important. And by the way, there was a lot of similarities when we at Netflix, when we first started working with the studios, there was traditionally six major studios in that scenario. The studios never thought Netflix would succeed. They never ever imagined. So they were ready to make deals that they almost laughed at, you know, we'll take this money, but you know, this deal is going to last a year. It at MoviePass, pass with these three companies, what I really failed to do was to, to start by creating allies within in them. I approached this and thought, okay, the I can show them how I can make them more money, a lot more money. And I thought that would overcome any kind of uh, uh, lack of willingness uh, to work with us. Uh, what I should have done and what I would say to anybody who's trying to disrupt a big business with a duopoly or three major companies is start by creating and uh, creating allies within them, even just one of them. Uh, that is something that um, unfortunately I thought the logic of making more money uh, would overcome and and it turned out to be a big mistake.
0: If you could get one of the three to, you know, be a little bit more favorable than, than now that kind of mixes up and changes the dynamics a bit.
2: Yeah, it's almost like that, you know, you, when you just have a couple of big players, you've got to peel them off. It's, you know, it's why the Byzantine Empire, Empire lasted so long. You know, they were able to get this group, this Turk group and that Turk group to fight against each other and
1: and uh, in this scenario, I, I I failed to do that. I'd say, even though they didn't join forces with you guys, they did end up sort of embracing the subscription model, right? We've seen yeah uh, you know, both AMC and Regal, uh, you know uh, having having to fast follow and come into the market. Um, yeah what's your view on kind of why that happened and and uh, you know of uh, their success there? Well, if you look
2: over the last 20 years of the of the uh, movie theater business, uh, the uh, amount of tickets sold has stayed relatively flat. There's been you know, a few blips here and there, but generally flat. yet the revenue was doubled. and that's solely because they've doubled the prices of tickets. Uh, and not to mention the, and I'm not even including concession sales, which are an 80 uh, percent profit margin uh, product and and hugely expensive. So uh, what the movie theaters have, I I hope realized is that they don't they they need to do something other than keep raising the price. And uh, consumers over this last 20 years have really gotten used to subscription services where they don't have to make that a la carte decision on a one by, on a film by film basis. Like, is this worth $10? Is this what, you know, maybe I'll just wait for Netflix. And so uh, AMC and Regal and Cinemark has a kind of a variation of this. Uh, the subscription idea is really what made Netflix and other subscription services so successful is it got people to explore uh, entertainment they never would have paid on the a la carte basis. And so their interest expand and their interest in in film expands. Uh, so I think the I think the AMCs of the world recognize that there are a certain amount of potential subscribers, uh, you know, who will go more often. Um, they are missing, uh, uh several other huge opportunities which i hope they embrace at some point but um, you know they're very they're in a very challenging uh position
1: is there is there a degree to which i think as the pandemic has made clear they kind of viewed you as the competition when you came in mm-hmm. but to a degree it was really they were competing with you know netflix hbo max and the streaming services which i yeah. think the pandemic has really sharpened that picture
2: yeah, yeah. i think almost every meeting i went into Uh, with a theater owner, uh, started by saying, you know, we hate what you did at Netflix. You're killing us. And, you know, my response was, no, uh, they weren't killing you. They were responding to a customer need, which you aren't uh, doing. And uh, of course, that started out the relationship (laughs) a little bit negative. (laughs) But, you know, the, the point is, is that, cinemas or theaters have become totally beholden to the man, to those six studios that control the product you play, control the pricing that you charge. I mean, every other country in the world has, the theaters have the flexibility to charge what they think customers will pay for. In the U S the studios have established a, a system that prevents uh, theaters from doing that. Yes, there's a Tuesday discount day and there's senior discounts, but those were hard fought battles just to get that. Um, you know, the studios have typical minimums of $5 per ticket, no matter what, which means you got to charge, you know, more than that. So, uh, you know, it's it's a fascinating uh, segment of the industry, but one where these guys better you know, do
1: something uh, much more than just doing subscription. Given that dynamic you mentioned specific in the U.S., do you think there's more opportunity in the future for a movie pass like service elsewhere in the world?
2: The uh, yeah, probably, um, you know, it it takes um, it takes a a lot of guts, I think, uh, and a lot of money to make it work. Uh, you know, the, the, the couple things that are unique about uh, the U.S., England and Australia, uh, Canada included uh, to a certain extent, is we consume a ton more entertainment than everybody else. Uh, you know, the average television in the U.S. is on 35 hours a week, uh, whereas at the maximum, it's 11, 12 hours uh, in other countries. So it's, um, you know, so the opportunity from a business model is there and the willingness uh, to work on things like this. But the interest in in uh, going to the movie theaters is not as big.
0: How drastic was the shift or was there was there a drastic shift when, you know, when when you have that hyper growth, those eight months and then ultimately need to fold up shop at MoviePass, you know. Was there just a lot of people who were were friendly and rooting for you and currying favor on your way up and then, you know, aren't returning your phone calls and and you know are uh are kicking you all you're down after the fact?
2: Uh no, there's uh you know, there's uh, I say this a lot when um I talk uh, to uh startups and companies about uh company culture. Is that it's a whole lot easier to build a great culture when things are going up to the right, and a whole lot harder <laughs> when things are are not going well, and and so you do get you get a lot of people abandoning ship, you get a lot of people uh, saying "I told you so," uh, you know, you you get um, potential strategic partners who were on the fence who are now changing. But it all makes sense. I mean, everybody is out, you know, for their own self and their own future. And so I never felt, you know, bad about it. It it never, you know, it hurt a little bit, but I always thought, you know, that was my mistake. Uh, and in fact, I call the second chapter of my the second chapter about MoviePass in my book is how I forgot everything I ever learned. And <laughs> so I never, you know, I just thought, you know what? I really messed this thing up. I I made, um, you know, some bad decisions that ended up not working, you know, timing wise and so on. I, I make excuses too because of the shortness of time. But, you know, when I'm sitting by myself, I realize that, you know, when you're starting a company or you're running a company, it's your responsibility, um, you know, to more often than
0: not make the right decision some good lessons learned. You got to read the book to find out what those are. When you think about uh, being able to break through, you know, COVID, um, no one going to the theaters, do you think that, um, that that would have actually been, if, even if you had made it through, that would have been kind of the final death knell for the company? Or do you think, you know, if you had been there and had digital, That that maybe you could have been a solution for the industry while everyone was, you know, stay at home and quarantining and and the like.
2: Yeah, I think it would have been, um, you know, death Uh, anyway. I think that, um, you know, there are companies that survived, you know, you know, by just, you know, like pulling in all the spending and you know, probably tapping into government support and so on. But, uh, you know, I think at that time, you know, early on, people thought it would last a short time. So it probably would have, we probably would have lasted a few months. But then I think people started going, geez, this is never going to end. And uh, so, uh, and, you know, who knows, we could have been one of those companies that, uh, you know, the Robin Hood investors uh, uh, went into like they did with AMC and uh, GameStop. But, yeah, I don't think we would have survived.
0: Yeah. Adam, Adam Aaron has, has certainly, um, I think, probably, you know, gotten the better of, uh, of, of the meme stock wars um, yeah. these
1: past couple of years. That's for sure. No, he's
0: definitely <clears throat> been on the on the winning
2: side of this whole battle.
1: You've been through a few waves, uh, you know, in your career of kind of what I would call evolutions of the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you see the industry going next? Um, you know, where do you see kind of disruption happening? You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of hype around stuff like the metaverse and Web3, for example. Do you think that's it or is it something else?
2: Yeah, it's it's really, inter- you know, I, I give a, a speech now called From Netflix to the Metaverse, and i talk about the the kind of how that evolution of the internet is very it's kind of like netflix is a is a proxy for that evolution you know going from mailing dvds to streaming to then making entertainment and when and and i'm a huge um, fan of the metaverse and of all the potentials with it um you know i am a little concerned that that you know especially because of the the 3d goggles required to really get the best out of it i am still concerned that that technology has not been developed uh, that really kind of overcomes all the problems uh i think it i think it will be overcome uh you know over the course of uh these last 20 years i've i've known and worked with people who've introduced uh, technology that seemed to be so good and so, and then people hype it and then you never hear of it again. So I'm not quite sure yet that, you know, the metaverse will, will um, is ready for embracing and, you know, whether it's NFT or crypto or, You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm still you know concerned that it's edge edgy at this point, like it's like it it's not ready for prime time, and of course coming up with the glasses is is going to um, you know make a huge impact. But the the it's almost for me the beauty of all this is that we go back to what the physical world was like. We're recreating all the things that were great in the physical world, like if you just take simply shopping, um, going into a metaverse mall and seeing the avatars of other shoppers and being able to engage with the clerks who can tell you more about the product or demonstrate it. But in a metaverse world, uh, that is, I think that's much better than shopping on a 2d screen where you read about it or you might see a video about the product i also like the uh, simulation side of things where uh you know if you're trying to plan out a new city or plan out a house how you can you know kind of build it yourself and and uh, and get a feel for what it's going to feel like or you know and whether it's uh you know a police department or a fire squad knowing how to go into a building and uh save people those i think those simulations are great of course gaming you know they've been in the metaverse already for 20 years uh so it's nothing new to gamers so all those aspects i i i really like and and i love the whole idea of uh, you know, and this is kind of a, a step-by-step evolution of of incorporating AI and machine learning into our uh, kind of our now 3D web experience. Uh, those, I think, are fascinating. Um, you know, I, I mean, the ability to to know what someone wants and give it to them in a, a 3D experience, I think, is uh, you know huge. Uh, just stupid things today, like, you know, I just came back from Buenos Aires and I was renting a car and the amount of time it takes to rent a car outside the US is like, you know, mind boggling. And, you know, they they ask questions that they already if they looked at their computer or you had any kind of AI applied to it, they would already know what kind of car I like, how long I'm going to take it. So it's just, I think there's um, huge opportunity, especially as you, you know, and this is this is where I think all cool new products come from is that that integration of two or three new technologies working together. Uh, you know, Netflix came about because you had this new DVD format that weighed less than an ounce. You had a good U.S. mail and you had the internet and you combine those three and it's you know that all I now sounds archaic but almost every cool product these days is a combination of multiple uh, technologies.
0: Do you think MoviePass 2.0 and their reboot with with uh with their new technology I guess they're adding in is web 3 capability or something like that. Do you think that's got some some magic combination in it
2: i don't know uh i don't know enough about it um i do know that uh the uh, uh moviepass's co-founder uh stacy spikes is the one that bought it out of bankruptcy and i know that had i listened to him more often uh moviepass would have done better so i have a lot of faith in him and you know he is a a very thoughtful, uh, smart guy. So you know, I I think if if anybody can do it, he's definitely the one. Uh, exactly how they're going to do it, uh, I don't I don't uh, know enough to know. Other than you know what I've read in the press.
1: Will you uh, be a, be a user potentially of the new movie pass? I wish, but
2: I don't live in the U.S. any longer. I live in Mexico. So <laughs> when they right. know, if, if they future come here, future expansion. Uh, I will try. I will try it. And, you know, so the you, Latin, I'm sorry. Good.
0: Uh, I was just going to say, you've mentioned a couple of times, right? Like, Hey, there's things I learned. Um, and, and I think there's some really good lessons in the book, I guess. Wh- what, do you think if the things you learned, you know, is it, is it just the, 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 the time and, and the lack of time and the cycles and speed that you're moving? in these environments that says, you know, for example, yes, Stacy was giving me some really good advice. I just didn't have the time to actually, you know, maybe think about it, assess it and then work it into our plan. You know, how do you think about balancing those, you know, those sides of the fence when you're in such a pressure chamber of an environment?
2: Yeah, it's really hard. Um, The and and I think it comes down to the sheer quantity of issues you have to deal with. Uh, we had way too many issues, uh, to deal with all at the same time. Uh, and that did limit my, um, kind of ability to take each one, uh, and consider carefully. Uh, I, I, um, you know, had a great team, you know, including Stacy for all, all the way up until the last year. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, had great advisors, uh, and, and, you know, some of it was disagreeing, you know, with, uh, the advice, some of it was not, not, um, you know, hearing it well enough. Uh, so I think time is an issue, but, but there's also, you know, you do need to like, um, uh, balance a little bit better and what I found is that, you know, working 12 hours a day uh, doesn't give you the time to think and 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 but at the same time, you know, you argue with yourself is I don't have time to go for a hike uh, You know, and uh, but it definitely is important, you know, it's if I had to do it all over again, I would have actually uh, reduced the amount of time. Uh, that I was working, you know, with movie pass as opposed to increase it, that I think would have given better consideration.
0: Yeah. Finding that balance. I was just saying, yeah. and, and maybe forcing, forcing other decisions to other people or right. Yeah. That's uh, that's an interesting way to think about it.
2: Yeah. I have friends who, uh, uh, are really good at it. Uh, who, uh, who say, you know what? Tuesday night is date night with my wife. And I don't care what's going on. I that's sacrosanct and and I will never uh, uh, break into that. Or you know, I'm finished work at six o'clock, no matter what. Uh, and those people, all uh, everyone I know who who has those rules does well.
0: So learning to say no, learning to
2: say no. That was actually, I, you know, one of the things, one of the first things I learned from Reed Hastings, was how to say no to an amazing, what seemed to me and actually produced amazing revenue. Uh, You know, I talk about this in the book that at one point um, when we were struggling to make money or to to overcome a negative cash flow, we had all these people wanting to buy advertising on our red envelope. And we were taking in checks and we built a sales department. If anybody ever remembers, Egghead Software, the catalog book, uh, we hired the top salesperson, um, uh, a woman who ran the sales there. And uh, one uh, week, uh, the, uh, the advertiser didn't approve the artwork on the envelope fast enough. This was very early on. And uh, uh, so we shipped late. And Reed said, Reed closed down the departments, you know, tore up all the checks, send all the money back and said, listen, you know, even though that's a lot of money, we forecasted 25 million a year in that in those days, he said, it's going to keep us from doing the one thing that is super important. That's mailing on time, you know, people getting their movies on time. So, um, he really taught me, uh, although I didn't follow it uh, all that often, was uh, to say no uh, when it doesn't you know, fit as the right thing to do.
0: Very tough and very tough to do in such a short period of time when you have so many new challenges and so many new opportunities that you kind of need to figure out where they land on that scale.
2: The rule of thumb uh, that he taught me was uh, only do those things that you can do better than anybody else. And if you're doing something that's just another, you know, way, you know, you're doing something someone else can do better, then you're probably not doing that. Those are the things you should say no to.
0: And then you know, he became um, a movie studio, make mm-hmm. trying to make better movies and shows than all the other movie studios. And I'd say, yeah, they've they've definitely accomplished that in you know, in in, in certain areas for sure.
2: I mean, if you look at the evolution you know, that would have been a thing early on that he would have said, we're never going to do because we can't be as good as Disney or, you know, 20th Century Fox or Paramount. Um, But over time, uh, you know, they came to the conclusion that you know what they with their understanding of consumer taste, and their ability to market and merchandise content better than anyone else, they actually could be a major studio and of course are a major studio.
0: What competitive advantages beyond just cash mm-hmm. um, did they need to um, arrive at in order to wade into those waters successfully?
2: And it really came down to understanding, it was, it's kind of this push pull idea. They were able to understand what people wanted to watch and then they, and then they were able, once they had the content, they were able to Promote it to those specific people in just the right way.
0: And so, what do you think about shifting gears for a second here? You know, if you look at the uh, what we would call kind of the tech monopolies, the, the the content platforms like you know the YouTubes of the world. Um, you could you could also put other more social media like um, you know TikTok and Instagram mm-hmm. and these other kind of content platforms. In um, yeah. Amazon owns Twitch, right? I mean, what we see and what we we talk a lot about on the show is kind of this convergence. You see all these, the, these kind of content platform tech monopolies that, that have the dirty word in the media industry called user-generated content, trying to invest in that premium kind of studio production quality content. And you've seen just about all of those players get into it in a very real way. But at the same time, you don't really see the traditional players, Netflix included, from Netflix to Disney and all those on down the, the chain, kind of crossing the chasm in the other direction. You know, how do, how do you see, do you see a convergence? Do you see mm-hmm. kind of the tech slash now content players and and the more traditional content players, which is where I would include Netflix as well, right? Because, but, they, but they've been able to advance their own kind of technology ahead of the other studios. What do you see the future of that look like? I know, very broad question, but curious how you think about it.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's something that I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about today. And, and I start from the point of just how much content there is today and how much is being produce, produced every day. Uh, and I include, you know, user-generated as well as scripted and, you know, kind of, uh, series and movies. Uh, see a bunch of things happening. Um, you know, the the ability to or the desire to watch long content is declining rapidly. People aren't ready to sit down for a two-hour movie uh, very often anymore. And even thirty-minute episodes are getting too long. And and the two, three-minute, one-minute, fifteen-second TikToks. Uh, the 10-minute YouTube uh, clips are becoming kind of what people really want. You know, people's attention span is getting shorter and shorter. At the same time, they want fully developed stories. You know, they want to fall in love with characters and they want a continuation. So they just don't want to see a two-minute clip and then never see that character again. And so companies like TikTok uh, are hiring uh, net? Sorry. Uh, are hiring um, companies like TikTok are hiring former Netflix executives in their strategy teams? Were you bullish on Quibi? Uh, I know because because Quibi was kind of you know taking out of the hands of the consumer what was being presented. It was kind of the same, you know, it was the same thing like Netflix. Were, because you know they were you know they were deciding what to buy and what to show rather than the consumer. Even though there was a little bit of a voting, uh, you know, and always there's a demand driving issue there. But I think they put the cart before the horse. They just poured a bunch of money into it. I love the user generated content. To me, that's the future, and 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 it's almost like. Um, scripted versus unscripted battle you know the battle 10 20 years ago was oh my god there's the creative community is never going to come back because it's all unscripted uh you know game shows and you know challenge shows and stuff so i think um i think what's happening is there the both sides are going to realize there's a place you know for netflix you know exclusive creative series There's a place for user generated. The user generated companies are going to teach their creators how to how to create longer stories, you know, in one minute bites. Uh, And I think over time, you know, series are going to made by Netflix and others are going to be. Told in a way that makes you think they were user generated, mm. and so I think the two are going to get closer and closer, and and especially as younger people, um, you know, the Gen Z start to take over even more of the consumption and spending. I think that will happen uh, faster. So what what excites me on from a technology standpoint is how do you find amongst these billions of pieces of content. How do you find something you're going to enjoy rather than just randomly uh, finding it because of some algorithm, you know, that TikTok or Netflix presents? And those are the companies that I think are the most fascinating, the ones that are um, dissecting entertainment in a kind of a genomic way, uh kind of like Pandora did for music. And you know, help people just because when I go to Netflix today. I keep seeing the same things. Uh, It's too hard to discover new stuff. And I think companies, uh, there's one called Catch Media that's out there that is, um, it's uh, founded by one of the guys who wrote the Pandora Music Genome. And it's companies like that that are gonna help people discover, not just see good stuff, but discover new stuff they wouldn't have thought about.
0: Well, Mitch, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. Um, Go check out the book. It's out now. It's called Watch and Learn. I Turned Hollywood Upside Down with Netflix, Redbox and, of course, MoviePass. Uh, Mitch, thanks so much for coming on.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's been great.